0: Open Science Talk, the podcast about open science. My name is Pierre Pipinaspos, and in today's episode I'm joined by Dominic Mitchell of the DOAJ or Directory of Open Access Journals. Welcome to the podcast
1: Dominic. Thank you, it's great to be here. We
0: are now making this recording during the Munich conference in Tromsø. So the first Mm. uh, question, uh, have you been to Tromsø before?
1: I have, I've been twice before actually, Um, both times to the conference. Um, And I think it's such a great event that's been going on for several years now. Um, And it brings together a very different group of uh, people from the sort of uh, open access publishing, open science communities. And I think it's such a great experience to meet those um th- those people who you, I, I don't normally get to meet them even though i'm based in stockholm myself um so I've, I've always enjoyed it i've always thought it's a good size you know it's not too big it's not too small and i think it's a really great community
0: thank you for that and um you already mentioned that you live in stockholm and mm. we also said that you work for the doaj for how long have you been working for doaj
1: um so uh, yeah, I've been working for DOAJ for uh, 10 years and I was uh, introduced to Lars Bjornsgard, the founder of DOAJ by Caroline Sutton, and who is uh, a mutual acquaintance and um Caroline introduced me to Lars and uh, we started working together since then and DOAJ has grown uh, over the last 10 years and we've really sort of been trying to uh, increase the profile and the structure and the, um, the the capacity of DOAJ. It's been a really exciting adventure.
0: Yeah, you speak about capacity because I noticed that you have literally thousands of journals in mm. there. Mm. So how do you compile these journals and how do you verify that these journals are? Open access as the directory of open access journals. This is supposed to be a directory of strictly open access journals. I guess
1: that's right. It's only um, a peer-reviewed gold or diamond open access journals, and I think at, um, the current count is eighteen thousand six hundred journals. And and we receive um, sometimes up or up to a thousand applications a month from journals that want to be indexed. Um, and. We have a team of volunteers and we have a team of uh, a sort of a full-time team who work with us and um, we really just we just process through those applications. We have dialogues with the applicants who are often publishers or editors of the journals. We receive applications from all different sizes of publishing organizations from the very very large commercial publisher down to A very small individually led journal that's run by one person doing it for the love of their subject matter and we we process those applications everyone gets the same treatment we've we're very proud of the fact that the turnaround time uh, about five or six years ago was really bad but we've brought that down to less than three months now so uh, and it's all down to this wonderful team of editorial uh, staff that we have who are working for us and our fantastic volunteers yeah, you mentioned from the very small
0: journal publishers that run literally just one journal mm. to, to the big publishers that have uh, gold open access or even di- diamond open access journals in their portfolio. Um, there's also some talk about predatory journals. Uh, I guess you wouldn't want them in there, would you? Uh, how can you go about 18,000 journals and verify if some or other shouldn't be there?
1: So we have, a, we have a, a set of basic criteria that are published on our website and those criteria have been chosen to act as a filter um, and so that everybody every journal has to pass a certain mark for them to be able to show us that they are well-intentioned, proper publishing out- outfits. And those criteria are uh, easy to meet and often what we find is with the uh, the predatory, or as we call them, questionable journals, um, they they don't bother to meet a lot of those criteria. Some of them don't even have one of the very basic criteria, which is for us having an ISSN number. They don't do that. So they can't get into DOAJ because they don't meet those basic criteria. We also have a um, quality team, and they specialize in, in investigating applications from journals that seem questionable when they apply um, and they do an amazing amount of work studying those applications from journals that we're just not sure about. Um, but I am I'm so confident that we have reduced uh, the number of uh, predatory journals in DOAJ. It was a problem at one time. In 2015, we made all of the journals reapply when we extended our criteria. And we lost a lot of uh, predatory journals. Unfortunately, we lost some, um, you know, sort of proper journals as well. But over time, they've started to reapply and come back to us. Um, so we're, you know, I, the, the amount of time that we put into keeping the quality of the journals in DOAJ high is uh, really, really something.
0: Yeah, and you seem to be uh, active also beyond DOAJ. I mean, you've been involved in making a a, um, a document called "Transparency and Best Practice in Scholarly Publishing" together with other um, uh, with other partners. And I, I just noted the fourth edition is mm. out this autumn, 2022. Could you tell us a little bit more about that kind of work that you are involved in?
1: Yeah, we thought um, that, you know, DOAJ has enjoys quite a, um, a uh, reputable position within scholarly communications generally. It's important to note that the principles aren't just about open access, but they're about sort of, you know, scholarly publishing um, best practice. And together with OASPA and WAMI and COPE, we um, wanted to lay out some principles that would help guide journals um, sort of establish themselves as proper Publishing outfits. the um, The fourth edition was probably the largest revision that we've done, um, because we were very conscious that it falls short in previous previous versions, and that we wanted to make sure that it also um, had some value, moving at least sort of five years into the future. So you know, we tried to gaze into our crystal balls and adapt the principles so that they would still be applicable. Um, again i think it's i think you know it's lovely when we see them quoted it's lovely when we see them used um, they are just they are guidelines they're, they're not rules but um, i know that cope for example bases a lot of their membership criteria on those principles and it's really good to see those being used
0: yeah uh, just checking my my papers now because i have a printout of the principles they are really good read for. Mm. Anyone who has been even remotely involved in, in editing journals, these are really yeah, thoughtful and, and sensible, uh, sensible uh, guidelines, I must say. Um, just to bring our listeners on board, COPE is the Committee on Publishing Ethics. It's an international entity, right? That's right, yes. And the other uh, mentioned was OASPA, the Open Access Scholarly Publishing Association. And finally... This the World Association of Medical Editors. Why specifically medical journals? Um,
1: I think you know there's uh, w- We see that there's a lot of um, publishing um, standards, best practices, and advances have been made in the uh, scientific, technical, medical journal world. Um, and having a uh, the World Association of Medical editors on board which focuses on the individuals, the editors who are running and controlling these 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 journals, controlling the editorial output. It's it, it's a very different focus. The other three organizations, DOAJ COPE and WAMI, they're focused on the journals as as entities. WAMI is able to bring to the table a very specific experience about what it's like for these individuals who are trying to, you know, make sure that their journals adhere to these principles, but also specifically medical journals where some where there's been a lot more, um, you know, they, they've already had lots of discussions around special issues. They've been working with um, um, uh, data sets and things like that for for, for a long time. And um, WAMI just brings a really good alternative view to to setting out those principles for us.
0: Another thought I had before this podcast interview was how are you actually financed in DOAJ? I mean, you are several people working there.
1: Uh, yeah. We, uh, we're extremely lucky in that we s- survive on donations. Um, one of the uh, big pieces of work that Lars did and now that his successor, Joanna Ball, does, is that she um, they go around and they encourage libraries, universities, funders, publishers to support us. So we survive purely on, uh, on donations that are given by those different organizations. And we have organi- We have eighty-five percent of our funding comes from universities and research centers and academic libraries, and the fi- and fifteen percent comes from publishers. Um, so, we're you know without without that money, DoAJ wouldn't be able to do anything. So,
0: thank you so much. And um, is there anything else you would like to inform our listeners about uh, DoAJ? Towards the um, end of this podcast?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, next year we're celebrating 20 years. Um, we're going to have some, uh, some events to mark that occasion. Um, it's appropriate that, uh, that we will be remembering some of the work that Lars has done over the years, but that also um, we'll be looking forward to what the next 20 years of DOHA will bring. And we hope that DOHA will continue to grow and, uh, and sort of be the amazing resource that people rely on. Dominic Mitchell,
0: thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you. Open Science Talk is produced by the University Library at UIT, the Arctic University of Norway. Thanks for listening.